Now, Father, we lift our hearts before you tonight. And we know that unless the Spirit of God quickens to our heart truth, that we'll walk out of here tonight having received nothing from you. So we submit the Word of God back to you and pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, we will have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to respond to the Word of God. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that every word that's written is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we, men and women of God, may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I pray, Father, that tonight our hearts will be open to you and say, Lord God, minister the truth to our hearts, that we will be different people because of the truth we receive tonight. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. We appropriate that blood to our hearts right now that every failure, every shortcoming, every sin that's ever been committed in our lives, whether word, thought, or deed, will be forgiven tonight as we repent of it and ask that you would fill us anew and afresh with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. For every need that's here tonight, we acknowledge that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Our God is a living God. And we're trusting you tonight to meet our needs right where we are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Abraham had no excuse because it, it was very clear to him what God wanted him to do. And the interesting thing is that Abraham didn't, uh, did respond, I mean, to what God had to say to him. He wasn't indifferent to what God said to him. He immediately found out what, that God was real, that he had a plan for him, and that he had a purpose for him. And he began to respond to that thing. First of all, he left Haran. Haran. He left Ur of the Chaldees in the city of Haran and went to where God told him to go. Now, I think that that's, that's appropriate for most of us. If God showed us something we're supposed to do, I believe that most people here tonight would, to the best of their ability, try to do what God told them to do. They weren't, you aren't indifferent to what God's trying to say to us. I don't think any of us are. I don't think Abraham was indifferent. He was a careless, but not indifferent. And uh, if God came to you and made himself real to you and said, this is what I want you to do, and this is what I'll do if you do it, I think that you'd probably be very excited and begin to move in that direction. But we have to be very careful when God shows us something that we do it God's way and in God's timing. And this is an interesting thing here. Outsiders, those outside the church couldn't care less. I mean, what God has to say, they couldn't care less about. If you ever listen to a talk show and somebody ever stands up and says, but the Bible says, and the whole crowd goes absolutely berserk. They want nothing to do with what God has to say. But genuine believers are those that want to obey God. Genuine, born-again believers. Abraham cared and moved, but there's just one thing that's interesting here. We're going to notice it in this portion of Scripture that Abraham made a reservation in the demands that God laid down. Look there in the 12th chapter again and the 4th verse. Fourth verse, so Abraham departed, see he left, departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And then what does it say? And Lot went with him. Look in 13, chapter 13, verse 1. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him. Look in the fifth verse of that same chapter, 13. And Lot also which went with Abraham, Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. He responded, but he made a reservation here because God said, get out of the country, he did that, and out of thy father's house, he did that, and out from thy kindred, 
Lot was his nephew. And it said, and Lot went with him. This is one of the tragedies in our churches today. It's, it's not a, an indifference on their part to the will of God, but just partial obedience to what God's telling us to do today. Well, we're willing to do this, but we'll, we're, we're just not going to take that too seriously over there. How much we respond to the Word of God is really irrelevant. The real question is, in responding to God, do we still have reservations in that response? What is God asking us to do as a body of believers? What is He asking you to do as an individual? Are you moving in that direction? And in moving in that direction, are you keeping some reservations in your life? Now, that reservation that you or I may be having may not be too inherently wrong. How many of you know it's not wrong for an uncle to, to, uh, to love his, his nephew, to have concern for his nephew? There's nothing wrong with that. Every father should love his children. Every mother should love her children. Every uncle should love their nephew and nieces. There's nothing wrong with his, res with his love for them, but he was making a reservation in what God had clearly told him to do. Many times, you'll find some Christians, when God calls them to do something, they'll put their family and their needs, the family's needs before what God has clearly told them to do. How many of you know that if God tells you to do something, you don't have to put your family first, you know that my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Some people put their job first. Well, I want to serve the Lord, but I've got to do this, I've got to. If God clearly tells you to do something, he will see to it that the provisions are made for whatever He wants you to do. A lot of people will argue very heatedly over this very fact. Well, we've got to be logical. We've got to be reasonable. Uh, I mean, God's reasonable, isn't He? God's absolutely reasonable. And that's why if He tells you to leave your kindred, you leave your kindred. That's why Jesus said, If any man come to Me and hate not, his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Anytime we put any of these personalities or these associations ahead of our relationship to Jesus Christ, we have a reservation in our commitment to Jesus Christ. Should I say that again? Anytime we put a reservation in what God wants us to do to where we put before him our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our brothers, our sisters, or our own life also, we're doing exactly what Abraham did. I'm waiting for an amen. He said, not your relatives. Don't take your relatives. Don't get involved. Leave your family. Jesus is saying, if you compare your love for me to your love for them, it's going to be like love and hatred. I come first. I will have no one else before me. I don't know what it might be that God be speaking to you, but if it does not meet that criteria, the Lord wants to hear you say, I mean, the Lord's saying to you, get out, get away from your country, get away from your, your father's house, get away from your relatives, whatever it is. If there's something there that's before the Lord, he's saying, put it out. The revelation that he got was very plain. The response was partial. Now, the third thing is that the results of God's will that were perplexing, the results of God's will were perplexing for Abram. The place or the destination, destination to which he came was very disappointing. A lot of times God will call people and oh, they're just so excited when they get there. And Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, left Haran, and came to Canaan. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he arrived, 
It says there in Genesis, the 12th chapter and the 5th verse, And into the land of Canaan they came. And when he got there, the scripture goes on to say that in verse 7, that God appeared to him again. Look at verse 7 there in chapter 12. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And so when Abraham heard that message, God spoke to him and God revealed himself to him there. What did he do? He built an altar. And uh, he built, and there he built he an altar unto the Lord who had appeared unto him. Now it's interesting because after that it just seems like God went, got very silent. God didn't have anything more to say to Abraham there. And I want to tell you, whenever we have reservations in our obedience to God, many times he becomes very silent. I've had people say, well, God just doesn't want to seem to say anything to me at all. Abraham got to the land where God told him to go, and he was in walking in obedience to be where he was. But it seemed like his relationship to God began to fade away. Nothing else was being said. Have you ever noticed that in your life? When you know God wants you to do something, and you say, I'd rather not talk about that, Lord. How your relationship begins to fade with the Lord. You see, the most interesting thing that I, one of the most interesting things that I have had to find out down through the years of my life is that God will fellowship with me if I will fellowship with Him. God is not going to push Himself on me at all. He will not force you to do anything. He will not force you to obey Him. He may make circumstances and conditions to be such that you'll find out you're, you're much better off to obey him and do what he says, but he will not force you <coughs> excuse me, to do anything. He will tell you, this is, if you'll do this, I'll bless you. And if you don't do it, you're disobedient, and then there's a price to be paid. But he gave Abram the, the possibility here. So it was a disappointing place, and secondly, it was a difficult path for him. When he got there, look at verse 10. And there was what? A famine in the land. Can't you just imagine, I'm leaving Ur of the Chaldees, I'm leaving Haran, God's got a promised land for me, I'll bet it's flowing in milk and honey, I'll bet the fruit and I'll bet the, the animals, everything's just going to be fantastic. He got there into the famine. Thanks a lot, God. This is what you're going to give me? A land with a famine in it? When he got there, evidently he was afraid he wouldn't survive too well. And uh, so the scripture tells me he uh, evidently couldn't trust God for his needs. And verse 10, it says that Abram went down to what? Isn't it interesting? He went down. Anytime you go away from where God calls you, you're going downhill. How many, how many of you remember the story of Jonah when God called him to go to Nineveh and preach? And the scripture says that Jonah went down to the coastline and Jonah went on a ship, went down into the ship. Every time you get away from God, you're going to be going down. And when he was thrown in the water, he went down all the way to the, down to the bottom of the ocean in the stomach of a whale. Said he went down to Egypt. Isn't this interesting? First of all, he went in God's will to Canaan. And every time you and I try to do God's will, there's always going to be a ship or there's going to be an Egypt, Egypt available to us if we want to take it. God's always going to see to it, that, I mean, the enemy's always going to see to it that there's an escape route if you want to take it. He was there and then he left again. Look at, look at the beginning of verse uh, 10 of the 12th chapter. There's a famine in the land and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. I like to hear a husband compliment his wife. 
Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with thee for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he, he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? And why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why, didst, why saidst thou she is my sister, so I might have taken her to me to wife? Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. Isn't that interesting? Here was Pharaoh, who was not even a professing believer. He understood back then the seriousness of taking another man's wife. He didn't get to go to the seminaries we go to today, did he? He realized how serious it was for, for what, Sarah, what Abraham had, Abram had done to him by ha asking him to do this, allowing him to take his wife in his, into his harem. And he came back, and so it said, Behold thy wife, and go thy way. Get out of here. He left Canaan because there was a famine. He goes down to Egypt, messes up down there, and Pharaoh says, Get out of here. You've caused me a bunch of trouble. You've caused plagues on my family. I don't want you around here. Ever known any mixed up Christians like that? They run from one problem to another problem to another problem, and everywhere they go, it just seems like there's a cloud over them because they aren't where God wants them to be. Let me tell you something. If God has put his hand on you to do something, you can't do anything else and be happy. That's why I always tell young people, don't even think about the ministry. If you can do anything else in the world, don't even think about the ministry. Because if God's called you to preach, you can't do anything else. You just absolutely will be totally miserable if you try to do anything else. Now he got desperate. He's like a lot of Christians today. When everything else fails, what? Pray. That's right. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, and in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai. Uh, some people, you know, think, well, Abram must, just, Abram must have just been a... He and Sarah and Lot, three people traveling around. But we're told, according to history that evidently he had many families and servants and, and uh, maid servants and, and it says here maid servants and so forth and uh, male servants, man servants. There was probably a, a group of about three to 5,000 people that traveled in his entourage. He had all kinds of animals and uh, you know, sheep and cattle and so forth. Thousands of people traveling wherever Abraham went. Everybody had to go along with him in that entourage. They went down to Egypt and here they were coming back up to Israel again. To Canaan, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. He went right back to the first altar that he had been that he had built. God had met him there, and he says, I can't stay in Egypt, I've got to go back, and I've got to hear from God. I've got to go back where God spoke to me once. Now, what's interesting to me is the moment Abram prayed, God began to do something. God, I don't know what's going on. You called me here. There's a famine. I went to Egypt thinking I'd get out of it, and everything blew up in my face there. And I go, what is going on? What do you want me to do? God, I'll do anything. Just show me what to do. 
I want to tell you something. When you and I will get desperate with God, when we really want God's will above everything else, God can change the circumstances. And I want you to see that here. There was suddenly the realization of God's will that was perfect. Abram began to realize that God was trying to show him something. And there was an unexpected change. Just as soon as he got through praying, look there in verse 6. And the land was not able to, well, let's go back to verse 5. And Lot also, which went with them, with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. Abram began to see God's hand in this situation. All of a sudden, there was strife between him and his favorite nephew and their herdsmen. They couldn't get along because they're stealing our, our pasture land. No, they're taking our pasture land. Keep your cows out of my pasture. Keep your cows in your own. All this started happening right after he got through praying. Now, it hadn't happened before, but he began to seek God. And I wonder if God didn't ha hold his breath about that time with Abram to see what he was going to say when he saw this strife taking place. But then there was an unhesitated choice on Abram's part. Verses 9 and 10, look what it says. Or excuse me, let's, let's go with verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and, my, and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Now, if, the whole, not, if not the whole land, is not the whole land before thee, separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, and as thou comest into Zoar. Abram prayed, and God changed the circumstances. Many times when conflict comes, we say, God, what are you trying to show us? Why are you allowing this conflict? Why can't things be peaceful? Why can't things go smoothly? Many times God's using this to bring us into his perfect will and way. You understand what I'm saying? Remember years ago I preached on the eagle stirring up his, his nest. Whenever God's stirring up your nest, he's getting ready to move you. God was stirring up Abram's nest here because he was getting ready to move him into the perfect will of God. And we've got to say, Lord, if you're stirring up our nest, show us the perfect will of God. What do you want us to do? I want to ask you, what are the words that God's waiting to hear from you and me? What are the words that are going to change our circumstances that we can be exactly what God wants us to be? Are there any reservations in our lives? If there are, are we willing to face up to those reservations and say, Lord, whatever it is, separate me from it? Maybe there's an apology that you and I need to go to someone and make. Will you please forgive me? It might be a bad relationship between you and someone else. We need to go and say, Lord, I really don't want that in my life. I want to get it settled. Maybe you owe somebody something. I know a lot of Christians who, who borrow money from people, never pay them back, steal from them, cheat them. And they go through life thinking, I just don't understand why things aren't working out. And God's saying, I want you to separate yourself from that thing. Owe no man anything but love. Maybe there's disobedience that you know, willful disobedience that you've, you've allowed to stay in your life for a long, long time. And I, I want to tell you something. If there is something that you felt, well, I just couldn't tell anybody. I just can't expose this. I, I just, it would just destroy me. It will destroy you if you don't get it out, if you don't get it taken care of. Be sure your sin will find you out. The scripture says, depart from iniquity. Everyone that nameth the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. Don't let that... 
stop you from being what God wants you to be. Don't let that reservation hold you back. Be sure eventually it will come out one way or another. But if you will, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy, the word of God says. Maybe there's a habit that you've had in your life for a long, long time, and God's saying, I want to deal with that habit, and you've let that become that reservation in your life. I want to tell you something. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and He wants your body to be pure. He wants your body to be clean. He wants your body to be sanctified. He wants it to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And you and I must be very, very careful that we don't allow ourselves to let that reservation be there as a stumbling block to others around about us and a, and a means of defeat. I want to tell you something. I've found out down through the years of my life that if the enemy can get me to think something or to do something or to say something, He'll use that to beat me over the head with afterwards and try to defeat me completely. And I've got to deal with it and say, I'm not going to let that reservation be in my life. In Jesus' name, I repent of that. I turn away from it. I will settle it. I will straighten it out. And I wonder how many God is saying tonight, I'm just waiting for you to hear you say, separate yourself from me. In some cases, it's a relationship that we ought not to have. You know, when I became a Christian, I found one of the easiest things for me was to get rid of my old buddies because they didn't want me around anymore. And it really concerns me when I see some people saying, well, I, I just got to make all the, keep this contact going over here if they're compromising when they do it. I remember getting in the car with my buddies and they'd blow smoke in my face and I'd sit there and talk to them about the Lord and they'd get madder and madder and pour along. They couldn't, I could stand the cigarette smoke longer than they could stand my witnessing to them. But we're, the scripture says that we're not to be entangled with the things and the ways of the world. It does not mean that we should not witness and be friends with them to try to win them to the Lord, but it means we should not be in a position where they can drag us down and compromise us. We must stand before the Lord. And when we see that type of a relationship, we have to say, Lord, I'm just going to have that separated from me. And I really believe God is trying to say to all of us, and he wants to hear all of us, I mean say, separate these things from me, Lord. I don't want a reservation left anywhere in my life. Now, let's look at the unlimited consequences of that decision that he made. First of all, we said there was an unexpected change, an unhesitating choice on Abram's part. Now, the unlimited consequences, the floodgates open. Look at verse 14 of Genesis 13. God is speaking again. Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said unto Abram. Now, he had been absolutely silent up till now. He changed the circumstances, and Abram obeyed and responded. And the Lord said unto Abraham, after that, what? After that lot was separated from him. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say anything to him before, but after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plains of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. The silence ended. The silence ended, and God's blessing came again. The, the floodgates opened up. Now, after the partial disobedience was removed, the floodgates opened up and God began to move in his life again. I really believe that there's a lot of things that God wants to do in our lives that he can't do because we allow these reservations to remain there. I'll never forget a man talking one time about the fact he, he just had a, a dream one night or a vision 
that he saw one of these large sections of heaven filled with all these wonderful, priceless gifts. And he said, Father, what's all these doing up here? And he said, well, those are the gifts I wanted to give to my children, but they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't be obedient to me and by faith receive all that I have for them. You know, the Bible says our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And many times it's just the reservations we've held in our lives. Well, yes, I'll give this much to the Lord, but I won't give this area of my life to the Lord. Well, I'll submit this part, but there's just one part he's not going to get. As long as we do that, we will not be able to expect the blessings of God to come into our life. I'm not talking about total disobedience. I'm not just talking about lethargy, but I'm talking about reservations, holding back, not giving everything to the Lord. Because the scripture says very clearly, if we're going to walk with him, we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. The Lord's always willing to give you another chance. He's always willing to change your circumstances. If you'll take that, face that reservation that's in your life and say what Abram said, separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. Don't play with it. Don't coddle it. Don't make excuses for it. If you have a reservation in the calling and purpose and plan of God for your life, deal with it. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, not hold it or put it in a sling. He says, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better to go into heaven without a right hand than it is to have both hands and go into hell. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better to go into heaven with one eye than to go to hell with both eyes. What is he saying? He's saying it takes radical surgery to be what I want you to be. Don't play with sin. It's deadly. I want to tell you something. There's near tragedy in partial obedience. And God says if you'll be totally obedient, the blessings and the promises of my word are yea and amen, and they'll be yours. So he's saying you will choose what you'll receive. You'll choose the blessings that you'll receive. How? By responding to the voice of God and the Spirit of God and what He says He wants us to be. If we have reservations, then they only will curtail the blessings of God in our life. I pray that every one of us tonight will say, Lord, if there's any reservation as to my talents, my gifts, my life, my work, my possessions, my relationships, right now I lay it on the altar and I ask you to separate it from me. I'm going to put Jesus back on the throne. He's going to be first and foremost in that part of my life. Nothing else. Nothing else. I talk to people, well, I want to fellowship at the church. I want to be there, but I've got this other trip I want to take, and I've got this thing I want to do over here, and I've got these people I see, and I, I've got this extra work I want to do, and I want to fix this up, and all, you know, all these. I, I wonder if Jesus came tomorrow, if those excuses would stand. They won't. They won't. And you see, the amazing thing is, Jesus could come tonight. And you and I are to live like he's coming now I really believe if we had a somebody that really was persuasive and came out and said that Jesus Christ was going to come next month that throughout the United States if they were really convincing next month you'd see all many of the churches starting to increase in attendance again one pastor said today that when the desert storm thing happened that their congregation attendance went way up and their offerings went way down that's called foxhole Christianity. Just in case something does get bad, I at least want to be close enough so I can yell and he can hear me. 
But God's not looking for Christians that are looking for fire alarm relationships. He wants to have a loving relationship where nothing is held back. He is first in every area of our life. If you'll do that, you'll avoid tragedy. Think how close Abraham came to losing all the blessings of God in his life. But think how merciful God was to show him the answer after he prayed. When we pray, things happen that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. Will you pray right now and ask the Lord to show you if there's any reservations to deal with them individually in relationship to this church? Let's just ask the Lord for wisdom right now. Father, we lay our hearts open before you right now, and I pray that none of us will allow one little corner to be hidden. That every word, thought, and deed will be examined by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that the strong man over every person here be bound, completely bound right now. We bind the strong man, every principality and power, every ruler of the darkness, every wicked spirit in Jesus' name. I command those spirits to take their fingers out of their ears, take their hands and the scales off of their eyes to be able to see and hear and receive. In Jesus' name, blessed Holy Spirit, make this word real to our hearts tonight. I pray that there will not be one of us that will have a reservation in our commitment to you. That you will be Lord and Master of every area of our life. And if there be any areas that right now we will say to you, separate these from me, Lord. I, I separate myself from them in Jesus' name. They'll not rule over me. We just agree with the word, thou shalt serve the Lord thy God and him only. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Because we know whomsoever we yield ourselves servants to obey, his servants we are. And I pray there'll not be one area in any of our lives tonight with a reservation that allows the enemy to become master of that part. We commit ourselves to you and ask that you'll show us as a people your will, your way, and your purpose in all of these things. In Jesus' precious name.